uh, just a few quick things. Okay. Everyone knows that orange doesn't rhyme, but also anal doesn't seem to rhyme with anything unless someone can send us a word that rhymes with anal. Yes, I'm uh, inquiring minds want to know. So just throwing that out there. If two aspiring songwriters <laughs> and poets are stumped, so. <laughs> I have a great lyric for anal, but how do I get? <laughs> How do I get out of it? How did that it? couplet? How do I back out of oh, it? Man. <laughs> oh, man. The eternal question. Hey, this is Amrita and Andrew. We're on a podcast journey to find our way through freelance life. If you're thinking about taking a leap off the beaten path in any part of your life, our totally inexpert advice is don't think twice. So you have written here top sheets, and I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, I know what a top sheet is, but I don't know what your opinion is. But I just want you to know that I have an opinion, too. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I, I want to know your take on top sheets. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I'll tell you there was a time in my life when I didn't use a top sheet mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I thought top sheets were for the fussy so okay i'm so with you and then some some corner was turned some happened in my life emotionally i don't know what happened but one day and I it find was irrevocable myself, mm-hmm. now i crossed over i crossed over and now i'm i'm for the top sheet all the way top sheet all the yeah, way is this your opinion too oh absolutely i have more to say about it than that <laughs> um but yes i'm pro i'm pro top sheet and i read an article about how millennials don't believe in top sheets I mean, yeah. I know this is like the most, that is the most like trend piece You actually bullshit. read the article? No. I, <laughs> I saw a headline about how millennials don't use top sheets. I have a lot of questions about that. Because they're lazy. Then to, then you, but no, but that takes so much more work to wash a duvet cover with the frequency that it sh- a, a sheet should Millennials are also don't wash duvet covers. So they're just covered in like dead skin cells everywhere. Anyway, yeah. whatever. Point being, top sheets, very pro top sheet. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand. I mean, I, I, again, I used to be in the camp where I never used one. Yeah. And now that I do, I can't, I can never it's turn back. luxurious. Now, here is a thing that I recently learned about top sheets. What? Courtesy of one and only Martha Stewart. Uh-huh. Printed top sheets. Go on upside down. Go on upside down. Oh, duh. Who were you raised by? Oh, stop it. Stop it. Because <laughs> I, I actually... Thought about this after having seen your bed. No, I don't. Do you don't it. do it. I okay. Don't do it. Oh, okay. I thought you were being serious, and I was gonna defend this knowledge. <laughs> I was. It's rocked. so when you flip it around, when you un, when you make. So your... when you get into the bed, the print is is on you. You see the print when you when you get into the bed. It's for you. It's for oh, you. Oh, I didn't think that's the reason. I thought it was so you curl it when you curl it back around. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's true too. But I just it's felt like not it was... for you. Is that what Martha Stewart said? I don't know. I guess that's how I interpreted it. But yes, you put the print facing down on the top sheet so that like... That's the way it's done. That's the way it's done. She also, by the way, if anyone has trouble uh, getting oh. your duvet and your duvet cover together. Oh, I mean, your that's not what I was going to say. Comforter okay. into your duvet cover. I do. In fact, in fact, you one time suggested that we make a workout video that yeah. was just about getting. I'm t- currently developing a program. It's, it's a little <laughs> boutique gym, and all you do for 45 minutes is just put duvets into duvet covers. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, that would sell as well. fast as you can. <laughs> I'm sweating just rather. thinking about yeah. that. Like literally in the dead of winter, when I try to like get my comforter like cover on, it's like I have to crawl all the way inside of it, yeah. like fully inside of it. I'm like dripping sweat in December. Like I don't, I, I need, I need that video. Yeah. The other thing that Martha Stewart ha- famously has, and I think may- probably most people who have weird uh, interest in sheets already know this. If you don't uh, know how to fold your fitted sheet. Martha Stewart. Excellent tutorial. Has got you. She's got you. Anyone can learn. It's it's a it's a complicated thing, but you can do it with a little practice. I will say one more thing about top sheets, though. <laughs> Please. Here's a little tip. Okay. They, I mean, they're usually sold with the fitted sheet. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Because if you can get a, sh- a, f- a top sheet that is one size up from the sheet, from the right from the bed sheet. Whoa. So f- queen for a full size. Mm-hmm. You're about to blow on, my mind. Uh, you yeah. know, king size or queen size. It is so much more comfortable when you're sleeping with someone else in the bed. Oh, because then so you don't much get burrito sheets. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, they all get tangled down right. in one corner. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and like, you're not, you're not fighting over it because you have plenty of space. So... That's my tip. I'm really glad that we could bring we could that we had this much to say about top sheets is a sign of our advancing age, but also like makes me. Really and that we've thought about it, that we both were like a non-top sheet <laughs> transition to a top sheet, as if like, I mean, maybe we're just one of millions. I hope people are at home like me, me too. too, me too. I remember that moment. It was a Tuesday in autumn. <laughs> oh my god. So this is what happened. I'm standing on the escalator in one of those subway stations that has like, it's like a mile underground. Yeah. And there's a woman standing in front of me. And I didn't, I decided not to walk. So I'm standing on the, I'm standing on the escalator. There's this woman right in front of me. And she is really put together from like the knees up. She's wearing like a really nicely tailored navy blue dress. Her hair is like pulled back really like elegantly. She's a young woman looks like she is trying to like be a business baron or something yes. you know she's like going in there she's to be great. an investment banker or whatever but and but from the knees down i scan all the way down and she's wearing the saddest batteredest pair of ballet flats ballet flats with like a little scalloped edge <clears throat> and um it was clear that this was her outfit though it wasn't like these were these were not like her Traveling commuting shoes, shoes or whatever um, she wasn't carrying a purse or anything, so yeah, these were her shoes, and it just really brought the whole outfit down in a way. So that years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. you told me that I needed to retire ballet flats. Not that I needed to do anything. You didn't tell me that I needed to do anything. You just you just commented that the ballet flat was a was a bad statement. It was a bad look. It's a bad look. Um, it's a look that that falsely convey that you think it's going to pro- convey professionalism. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. It, it doesn't it do says, anything well. It says like I'm a wage slave. It says I'm a. It says like I'm a I'm middle a manager. I'm a forever administrative assistant. Yeah, um, and it says in fact, I eat Subway <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you, at first, I took this to Which, mean that you were saying that like you you only liked to see women in heels, and nope. I was like. Well, you know, we do have to have, like be comfortable because it's New York City and we got to commute around or whatever. Um, but I've now come to understand the wisdom of what you were saying because I saw and it all came to me, doubled back to me when I saw this woman and I was like, wow, 
her shoes say, I'm going nowhere fast. And the rest of her says, like, I'm, to the I'm top. a CEO. Yeah. Um, so uh, I remember very vividly when I when one of my roommates moved out and she mm-hmm. left me, like, a pair of what I, at the time, were like, oh, you're like coach mm-hmm. flats and then i and then i showed them to you and i was like look what look what she left me when she left these like these like ballet flats and you were like yeah that's because she has moved on to like a real professional leadership job and you're still like a sad administrator you make, you make me sound so mean you make me sound so mean and that's not the truth let me just let me just lay out my reasoning for why the ballet flat is something to be avoided which I'll also clarify in this statement that a ballet flat, when I say ballet flat, I mean the true ballet flat. I don't mean like a flat or a structured flat or like a loafer. Yes. All those things are good. Yes. I mean a real true shitty ballet flat. No support. No support. Like toe, like the toe crevices. Like you can see like the toe cleavage. You Mm -hmm. can see like half of their like dry footbed mm-hmm. yeah you're painting a picture this is gross so but the thing <laughs> the thing that bothers me about it other than it looking like trash is that it also provides <laughs> no support or which, so i've been told yeah i was gonna say which you only you only learned that from me that yes it's actually it's not even a told, comfortable not shoe. that comfortable of a shoe it's, it's it's actually not that comfortable a shoe it has no arch support um it's only comfortable in comparison to like a stiletto Right, there are and plenty not even of other all stilettos. Options. Like actually, some high heels are more comfortable than than ballet flats. Um, so yes, so structured flat for professionalism. If you're a New Yorker, you're running around. Totally understand. You don't want to be in pumps all day. Right. Or maybe not even any of your day. There are plenty of like stylish sneakers. Loafers, structured flat, e- even a sneaker, depending on your your workplace level of, yeah. of professionalism required, but. So if you, if you, well, if you're wearing ballet flats to this day, I want you to put them on and I want you to go into the mirror and I just want you to give yourself a long, hard look and ask (laughs) the the hard questions of your life. Mm -hmm. Am I happy where I am? Am I going anywhere? (laughs) And if I'm going somewhere, can I get there in these shoes? And I guarantee you that last answer will be no. That's, that's some hard truth. So, um, I have a little bit of an update. Okay. Uh, so, a year ago, I converted my American Airlines points to magazine subscriptions. And haven't turned back since. And I haven't regretted it mm-hmm. one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you haven't picked up a traditional magazine in a while, I encourage you to. They're a lot of fun. But there is a reason they're dying. It's because most of them are very shitty. So <laughs> I I got everything. I have Time Magazine. I get that, which don't get that because that's just basically the internet, but like last week's internet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's bad. <laughs> uh, I get Southern Living, which um, you don't need to be Southern to get it, and it's definitely one of my favorites. They have great recipes. I, I, I like the idea of Southern Living because what I'm getting from this magazine is that Southern Living is about taking it easy. Yes. And like – referring back to our cult conversation it's sort of a caftan and cake kind of situation it's 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 my it might be my favorite okay. uh i also get fortune magazine which is another one that you definitely don't want to get because it's just stupid 
Um, <laughs> you can't even muster no, more. No, and that. I get some travel magazines, and my travel magazines are probably my favorite. But okay. I, I, this is oh yeah, there's like a coastal living one. There's a coastal great, living one. I have Sunset magazine. I don't even know what, what is Sunset I don't even magazine? know what it's about. I've never even heard. Of I that. get travel and leisure. I get Condé Nast travel, which Condé Nast travel is great because mm-hmm. it's like huge size and has really nice mm-hmm. pictures mm-hmm. like an oversized magazine overall though there i do have some complaints about magazines one they have way too many words mm-hmm. people and way too many words and their pictures are way too small okay i think magazines these days because we're transitioning away from a print world mm-hmm. and you can read any article you want online i think they need to be all pictures mostly pictures <laughs> Because this is a bigger format than your phone screen, so they need to capitalize on that. Is what you're yes, saying. That, the nice. advantages that they have. There's something really nice about a picture that's actually printed. Mm-hmm. So big pictures, um, recipes are good because mm-hmm. you already have it printed out to make it. I mean, I haven't made anything for a magazine, but the idea is good. By the way, I would say that Martha Stewart, sidebar, surprisingly has the best recipes because. You'd think You're that they would really take like no. You think days. that they would take. I, I've always been into Martha Stewart. Where you been? <laughs> um, that like you think they would take like six hours and require a bunch of specialty ingredients, but they don't. They're actually very practical and time sensitive. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, I also like uh, perfume samples in my magazine. No, no, you don't. Okay, because... I'm gonna fight you on that because they always just smell like paper. Yeah, they they have a they they have slight hints of things it's just like cardboard it's just cardboard with scented like a cardboard and you rip them out <laughs> this is what you do you rip them out and then you tape it or you are you carefully weave it through the back of your fan oh your my god fan. i cannot fucking believe you right now you, you're telling me you actually did that yeah do it all the time and then you turn it on <laughs> and you come back in your bedroom and it smells like just a little bit like something oh my god i am floored that you do this what <laughs> did you come up with that on your yes. by your own self yes you did yeah wow okay all right all right that's a pro tip okay. okay that is i had never thought of that you heard it here first yeah our guest this episode is a very special guest indeed it's andrew's mom Rhonda woodbury Rhonda talks to us about finding meaning in your career, pursuing social justice, maintaining friendships with Republicans, and her lifelong mission of uplifting women, and how she achieves that through the unlikely means of being a partner of her own accounting firm. I'm so excited. We finally have Rhonda on the show. Live and in person, my mother, a woman who is... Uh... A legend. Yeah. In many in respects. In my eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so tell, tell us about, about being a boss. Like, what are, what are some challenges about being the person who's in charge or some benefits? Yeah, or what, what's, what's, what pros and cons? Well, what do you do? When did it happen? And take it from there. Okay. Well, I'm a CPA. Um, in a small firm in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, it was something that I always, I always wanted to be self-employed. Um, even when I would think about growing up, I always wanted to do my own thing. And there were several reasons why. When I first went into the workforce, it was in the early 70s, and it was a time when women were still 
not uh, managers. I mean, they were they were school teachers, but they were, but the principals of the schools were were male, and and every boss I ever had was male, mm-hmm. and it was every um, in every situation I would say to myself, things could be different, could be better. Um, for me, if if there were if there were more women in in management, because mm-hmm. our issues as women and how we manage and how we work are so, it's just totally different than the way men operate. And so I knew early on in life that I wanted to figure out some way that I could have my own career and bring along young women, which was really what's always motivated me. My heart's always been for women. Um, my, my girlfriends were always very important to me growing up, just other females in, in my life. And so that's really, um, was always in the back of my mind. And so, and I knew that the professions would, might possibly give me that opportunity. I knew I couldn't be a doctor because I'm not scientific. And so that left me with law and accounting. And so, um, I, I didn't go right into college. Um, right after high school, I chose to get married and start a family. And after I had my children, I decided that if I was going to have to work, that I wanted to actually go back to college and become a professional. So that's that was really the motive. There were a couple of things. I was motivated because I wanted to be in a profession where I could work for myself and I could impact the lives of other people, other women in particular. That's, I, mean, I think that's really forward-thinking, though, not to, to in, interrupt the story, to, to to be in a spot where you're thinking, look, I need to have a job, but then thinking ahead of I could do so much more for, for others and for myself if I, instead of actually just getting a job right now that is going to serve my needs right now, but to take the time to actually go to school, because I imagine that was probably a sacrifice to, um, you know, to take the time to, to go to college when you had two small children at home. Um, it was, except there were uh, there were some benefits that I unexpected benefits. Mm. Um, because at the time when I started back to school, I think that my children were like two and six at the time. Is is I believe they were two and six, and so one of the benefits was um, in instilling them how important education was because mm. they saw that the sacrifice that we made as a family in order for me to. I worked a full-time job, and then it took me five years of night school to get my accounting degree, which meant that their father had to jump in and take care of them on the evenings that I had night school. And then there was a lot of studying Mm -hmm. because I wanted to do well in school, and I did do well in school. It was important to me. So that was one of the benefits. Some of the sacrificing was the time with the kids, family time. There weren't a lot of vacations. We all that was postponed so that I could get through school, but I think it was worth it. Oh, in the end, for sure. I mean, I remember your graduation day as like I was seven years old. It was the hottest day of the year, (laughs) and but I do I just remember being so proud of my mom for doing this thing. You know, that's so cute. For working so hard and watched her walk across the the stage. Yeah, we were it was outdoor graduation. Oh wow. And I remember some people had heat exhaustion emergencies. <laughs> but I, I remember like standing in the shade under a tent, like watching mom 
Because I was 37. I was one of the older students. Mm -hmm. And when it came time for graduation, uh, several people said, oh, you're surely not going to walk across the stage. I said, oh, yes. <laughs> I have worked I am going to get that cap and gown. Yes. And be <laughs> yes, I'm doing it mm -hmm. because um, it's okay if everybody else is 23, 24. I worked hard for this. And so, so. The, the, the aim from, from that time was always to, to be at the top of the, mm -hmm. the food chain in terms of... And the, I didn't want to be in a big firm either. I didn't want to work the, the, the big four um, because I knew that I, it would be too hard for me to do what I wanted to do with my own life. Plus, it would be too hard for me to uh, have the impact because you're still, there were still a lot of... There's right. a, still a lot of rules that you have to follow, mm -hmm. you know, in those environments. But if you have your own small firm, you can kind of set the tone, which is what we've done at, at uh, Worley and Woodbury. We, we focus a lot on our, um, our staff um, and, and try to meet the needs of their, own, their professional needs and try to put them in situations where they can be successful. No, so I so one of the questions that I was gonna ask, and now I feel like you've answered it kind of already, was about um, choosing the path of doing accounting. Because I was I you know was kind of thinking about how uh, how Andrew and I are like doing our own sort of like non traditional career path, and I think we're both um, very privileged to be in a position to consider like what is the thing that's our dream, mm -hmm. what's the thing we really want to do, what is going to be like exciting and different, you know, the next new thing. Um, which I think is not really an attitude that, uh, certainly not that my parents share and that I, that I wonder whether there's a generational aspect to that of like, um, the thing that you have to do versus like when, you know, my mom, the job that she does now was something that she had to do because we, you know, we needed the money. She needed to make a career change in order to do that. So she doesn't really have any, other than the fact that like her job gives her a lot of flexibility, she has no real like passion for what it is that she's doing or anything. But that was because that was a thing that was a necessity, and that's something that just seems really uh, normal to her like decision making. And that she finds weird about my decision making is that you know I'm catering more to like what's the thing that I really like want to do. Want to do. Yeah. And so I I don't know. I was curious to hear about your perspective about that. But I feel like you've kind of addressed that already by saying really that it wasn't so much about the accounting per se, but more about the underlying desire to lift other people up and create a different type of environment. Right, because I probably would not have picked accounting. Um, mm. I probably would have picked some other... I probably would have picked uh, probably more of a psychology or a counseling uh, careers probably would have, would have been more of a natural fit for me because I just really like to see people succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and you just and, found you found a different path to that. And I, I found a different path to that because at the time, because I had children and I knew that, and I did need the I did need the paycheck, but um, I also felt like that that I could that I could uh, meet the need that I needed which was to help people through uh, helping small business like helping small business owners helping helping people with their careers helping small business owners because meaning so, your client your clients, my clients the because there's so many times when you have particularly when you have new upstarts they tend to not have very good cash flow because they're trying to get started and some of the mistakes that they make is not budgeting properly for professional help and that that includes you know attorneys bankers accountants and so what we did early on in, in the firm that I'm in now is we 
we try to, when we sit down with a, with an upstart, we sit down and say, these are the things that we think you need. These are the, this is, this is the wish list, but these are the things that you have to have. And we need to help you figure out how you budget to, to get these three things. You have to have, you know, A, B, C. You can't do without that. So we're going to help you budget in a way that you're covered because it's more important to us that they be successful than to walk away and say, I can't afford you, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything. Right. So there's there's other ways that you can help people, even if you're in accounting and not like medicine mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a health profession, absolutely, so a, a, a traditional health profession like clergy, teacher. Absolutely, I know. I love that idea. I want to return to the idea of using your profession in sort of like almost a social justice way, no matter mm-hmm. what it is. But because I think you touched on this a little bit. I want to continue on this. Sorry, I feel like I'm dominating. The you know, go for it. Is um, you're talking Just about having? I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like talking about having advice for small businesses. That was one of the things that that I was curious about yeah. too. Is what is what is your advice um, for people who are pursuing non traditional career paths? Because you know, a lot of people in our mine industries are you know similar our peers. We don't have a type of jobs where now we're having we have access to sort of traditional structure of a four hundred one k and you know the maybe the same health insurance models or or whatever or just anything. So you know Andrew and I just started our business together. Say we walk in your door and um, you know or any biz, small business of that, of that type. What what is the A, B, and C that you're telling them that they need to have from like you know what's what's your advice basically? Well, the first thing I do is sit down and ask uh, a new client, where do you see yourself in three years? What, what is your long-term plan? What's your five-year plan? What's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And just get them to talk about what it is that they're passionate about. Is it, are, you, are you driven by money? Are you driven by, what, what is it that's, is this your passion? Is this, is this going to be just, a part-time job is this going to be is this to put food on the table or is this exactly what's going on here but but the main thing is is to um, they of course there's a tax return there's always that component because that's just what we do so one piece of it is that you have to have somebody do your tax return professionally Mm -hmm. the other piece is tax planning and tax planning what that involves is how do I uh, set aside for the future. So that would involve talking about things like retirement plans um, and, uh, you know, is this going to be an internet-based company or do you need um, office space? Mm-hmm. Just, just that's, that's where we start. Um, but the main thing is, is to um, have professionals that you can reach out to when you do have questions. And to pair yourself up with somebody that's willing to work with you. I mean, we've had, so, there are so many stories just in the last 10 years. I mean, I had, we had an instance where, for example, um, a woman who happened to be a, um, a seamstress, but she also loved to hike on the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she would um, every year complain that her tent was just too heavy. So she decided that she was going to start designing her own tents to take on the trail because she was a seamstress and she was a hiker. So she she developed this tent, and over time, 
she developed she was able to use different figure out use different materials and develop a tent that now she sells and 10 years later not only does she sell it but now they have a manufacturing facility and they have worldwide recognition with this tent and that started out as a hobby and so when we started working with her we we gave her reasonable fees smaller fees and it you know when you're starting you need less Mm -hmm. and our philosophy is if you do better we'll do better because this is where you are this is all you can afford and we're willing to do that because we're going to grow together. we're going to grow together <laughs> because yeah. as you grow then we will too and it's proven true over and over again you know if you were to start your firm tomorrow fresh firm what would be what would you take away you know with all, all the knowledge that you have um if i were to start a new firm to, i would um first of all be excited, more excited to hire people who brought things to the table that I didn't have. Um, I like working in a collaborative situation better than a competitive situation. So know yourself. If you're a competitive person, understand that and know that when you're doing your own business. If you're a collaborator, then always be looking for those people out there who have something that they can add to your toolbox. Let them have their own toolbox and be happy that they have it. But that's what a collaborator will do as opposed to a competitor who wants to know everything, which that's great if that's, if that's who you are, but, but know who you are. Um, so I think that, I think that uh, knowing that about myself uh, sooner would have made it a lot easier mm. because right. um, I too, a lot of times ended up in situations where it was, uh, it was just a field of competitors which made me very anxious and very uncomfortable and very angry because that's not how I work. Um, so I, I've, I am partnered with a collaborator and it has worked beautifully. Um, um, and, we, and by that you just mean that you have complementary skills. We have complementary skills and we don't, and we appreciate, you know, he does things, um, some things better than I do and we honor that. We, I mean, he will say, I do that I do that better than you, so I'm going to do it. Or he'll say, mm-hmm. you do that better than me, so why don't you take this? And there's no, it's a very comfortable situation to, to be able to say that because so many times people don't want to hear, you You don't do that as well as I do, so mm-hmm. let me take that. Well, and it's also being able to admit the things that you yourself aren't good at, which can be difficult. Right, <laughs> right, which, right. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's with someone you don't trust. Like, you have to trust somebody a lot to say, I can't, I'm not good at this. I can't do that. So I think that's important. So I think that's that's something I wish I had uh, learned earlier and just not, um, and just moved in a different direction sooner. I Sometimes I stayed in situations longer than I needed to as a professional um, <laughs> because it's just, it, it, you don't grow. Mm. If you're spending all your time being anxious and upset, then you're not really growing in a dir- the right direction. And so that's, I think that's really important. The ability to make a change. The ability to make a yeah. change. Okay, I want to pivot back to the to the activism kind of, maybe that's not quite the right word, but... Um, <laughs> So I have heard many, many stories over the years mm-hmm. um, from Andrew about 
his childhood growing up with a uh, opinionated ju- like justice I think is like the most the the most like descriptive word about your Absolutely. your belief system and like even just about like small things like there are a lot of funny stories about like you know being at the grocery store and if like, my mother is anything she's outspoken and very and fair-minded and, and, and about justice related issues and what she and when she sees injustice i don't think i've ever seen her hold her tongue back away from a fight uh no and yeah. And a fight sounds more combative than it really is. It's just a passion that bubbles up uncontrollably. Which, though, but I think, though, like, when you were maybe of a certain age, it was like... I mean, okay, yeah, to be, to be honest, <laughs> I mean, I grew up with a mom that, like, always said the, said the thing and ruffled the feathers. I mean, we grew up in a small southern town that is very conservative. So, you know, that didn't really help because she didn't really have that many allies. Um, you just have some. Um, although, and we will get to this later, interestingly, you did have a lot of friends from all across the aisle. All yeah. across the aisle. Yeah, so you were like a likable person who everyone felt they could be like, Rhonda, do you really have to raise that as an issue? Like, we're friends. Do you really have to like ruffle people's Well, feathers? and like, I mean, I think like for one example that comes to the top of my mind was um, your feeling that, that the school districts were being unfairly sort of redrawn around racial lines around Ma- economic or economic lines, lines perhaps economic, okay yes. and um and that, that basically they were like oh it's okay your kids can come to like this the nice school and you were like no our, our the the line the school board line is right here my kids are going to that this other school just because you know because it's fair and because it's right i remember that I, I will say that a lot of people were not very happy at my mother for that's kicking up the dust mother because they moved the neighborhood i mean they moved the, I moved the entire neighborhood back mm-hmm. over and so, which made some of my neighbors unhappy but it wasn't right it was yeah see not, but i think but i think that that's just. that's notable because yeah it wasn't right it wasn't just but i think a lot of people would find it easier to just say well i'm gonna benefit from this thing that's like when you're benefiting from the unfair thing i think a lot of people have trouble speaking up about about that you know if it, if if the thing shakes out in their favor so i think it takes a lot of gumption to when you're actually benefiting from something to speak up and say like hey actually even though i'm kind of getting the, the the good end of the stick here yeah. like it's not it's not fair like and okay so i i so i have maybe an inkling about this but where do you think that your like sense of like justice comes from where does that come from? I think part of it is just who you are to some degree, but I do think that part of my ability to do that is rooted in the house that I grew up in, in that um, even though my parents had a traditional marriage in the fact that my mom stayed was a stay-at-home mom and my dad worked, <coughs> my parents were equals in terms of... Um, the way that they ran the household, mm-hmm. um, my, you know, we, my, my dad listened to my mother, and so, and she, so she had opinions. My mother had very strong opinions, and so we, that was modeled, and he listened to her, and we were permitted to have opinions at home. Um, this is so interesting to think about in relation to the way you, know. you and your mom, the relationship you and your right. mom had, which was not a smooth one. Mm-mm, not at all. But to think about it, her opinionated nature and the way your father, like my granddad, 
related to it as being like a example. Mm. It's, it's, it's just interesting because you didn't get along with no, your mom. No, we were to the very different. Mm. We were very different um, because my mother was very artistic, um, very uh, well. She was opinionated, uh, very opinionated <laughs> yeah. too, um, and she was very a very 50s mom and so what was important to her to some degree was you know well I can and one example would be was that I was very resistant to wearing makeup Mm. I just didn't see any need to wear makeup Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to and so her way of getting me to wear more makeup was um, well you're just not pretty enough to get away to not wear makeup you'll never have you'll never get a date if you don't wear makeup but that was just that whole that whole mindset so that when those things would creep in that's where we didn't right but what was going on at the time in hindsight now and now that i don't have her anymore and um is that i realized that what i realized was that there were those were very beneficial things for me um for her to say those things to me that only reinforced my Feeling that those things were were not, not that true. important, yeah, right. or not true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but I think that that clearly she succeeded in allowing you the space to push back on, like you know that that somehow that I think in a way that adversarial adversarial sort of relationship is a sign of her success in like raising somebody who is allowed to have strong opinions and like can can push back on that. Yeah, so those I think those things make you have have a, you know the, when you have permission to have a strong voice or a permission to know things that that other people yeah, mm, mm-hmm. yeah that's, it, I think that was it or there's mostly. not embarrassment around there's not embarrassment I mean you were about, never met you would never we were never embarrassed to ask you a question or be curious about things and you were never shameful to explain the things even if they were things that you didn't agree with or wasn't things, not even that you didn't agree with, just like a way of life that you didn't prescribe to. It was like, oh, that's what other people do. But you're never like, oh, that's what though, like, we don't do that. Other people do that. Mm-hmm. We don't think that way. You were always very much about like, you could do, well, you could could do that. Well, I can remember some of the questions that, you know, I can remember <laughs> you in particular saying, why do I have to go to church? I don't know why I have to go to church every Sunday. And, I, and my answer to that was simple. It was because I want you to be able to choose. I want you to be able to choose whether you want to be a religious person or not or you, whether you want to be a Christian. And if I don't take you to church, what are you going to choose from? And so that was, a, you know, so he, he never asked that question again because I think he understood. I was simply, I'm giving you information. And, and you're not going to be able to make a good choice if you don't have the right information. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for that reason and for no other reason. You need this information. Um, and that's kind of how, how that's my how parents did. did too. It was like, you need this information. You need to read this book. You're curious. So takes all the power out of everything. It's sort of disappointing as, as a child to not have anything that's like incredibly forbidden. taboo or forbidden <laughs> like you just take it all away 
That's that's you know. Yeah, it's kind of funny it's, actually. <laughs> like womp womp. Well, yeah. um, um, one of the things that happened with Andrew was that he was very a very stubborn child. <laughs> was. Well, he is. A stubborn. <laughs> Thanks, and so to discipline him, we had to be very creative <laughs> because he just is not affected mm-hmm. a lot by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you do? And so when it came time, I knew that when it came time to have a curfew for him, that that would be that might be an issue because he was he would challenge those types of things. Not that he was a bad kid; he wasn't. But he would challenge those things. But why? So do you remember we had, we had no curfew? No and curfew. You said that gave you that was a lot of pressure, because along with the no curfew was that you only got one chance to mess up. He didn't get but one chance to mess up if he did anything that got him in trouble, mm. like you know, drinking and driving or whatever yeah and plus i knew where we lived that nobody else would let their kids not have a curfew so mm. what was he gonna oh. do when everybody else went home oh that there, there was a strategy oh, so crafty. so my mom uh, from from always really always um has always had a large friend group when when we were growing up you know we were went to church religiously <laughs> Every Sunday and, and other days of the week, my mom was the youth pastor for a while. She was a financial director or manager of the church for a while. And um, and even up until today, she has a lot of, of friends um, from just all walks of life. I remember just having, you know, her always, there was just always friends around, always women around who were, you know, of every walk of life not perfect not just professionals not just white collar i mean we just it was just ran the gamut um and you know as a child it's just like a, a normal part of your life that's just you don't know how other families live or how other people live i knew that my dad didn't have that sort of spread of, of friends but it was later until when i grew up um and then especially as we've had into a more contentious political climate mm. where you know, a lot of friendships and family relationships have been tested, been tested yeah. over the past couple mm-hmm. of years that I've really been able to reflect backwards on all of these relationships um, with women that you've maintained throughout the years and your just relationships with those now of people. You maintain relationships with friends that you really care about that could not be more different in their point of view and their perspective, their political leanings. Um can, can I just take a quick sidebar here? Yeah. First of all, for everybody out there, Rhonda Woodbury is the MVP Facebook friend that you will ever <laughs> friend. She's my favorite person on Facebook. Um, brightens my brightens my my social media experience on a daily basis. This this is a fact. Um, best person that you could ever friend. So I encourage everyone to friend her immediately. <laughs> But I'm continually, yes, no, but I'm continually impressed with your the doggedness with which you are willing to put your beliefs out there, even knowing that you know, you know, right? You know when you put something up that some that you know somebody's gonna have something to say about it. People are gonna. Mm-hmm. Are she gonna, knows and she laughs her ass off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And watch all the pe- all the people get whipped into a froth. I do. And you're calmly waiting through the comments. We and had responding, one this week. Responding to everything patiently, 
calmly but firmly. It's just a delight to witness this. I just want you to, I just want to say that really quickly. <laughs> but no, but but the, seriously, I really struggle with this a lot, and I do want. I'm very curious about this this question yeah. that Andrew's posed because I I do find that I have a lot, quite a echo chamber of friends where I agree with them a lot, and I struggle a lot, especially in recent times, troubled times that we're in about how to engage with people that I, I, I'm right now. I kind of feel like, fuck it. It's hopeless. Like, yeah. I, I, like I can't talk to people that, that, you know, that I don't feel have some sort of shared sort moral of ground. ground. Yeah. And, um, so I'm really impressed and in awe of what you kind of do that on a daily basis. And want to know, I just want to know your wisdom about that. Cause well, I think it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to, sometimes I get really angry. Um, when well I get not so much angry about a difference of opinion because I love I love debate I mean I love to hear other ideas now that I've always been open to other ideas because I want to be in check it gives me a way to check my own biases Mm -hmm. or my own weaknesses in the way that I think about things so so that part I love um, what I don't like is when there's an attack element. Mm. So mm-hmm. yes, I'm sometimes I'm bothered by that. But what I've learned is just try to stick to the subject to whatever it is that the issue is um, when you're when you're talking to friends when they try to take you down different paths um, of discussion when you're talking about something that you don't agree on is to bring it back to really what the real underlying issues are and what tends to happen with my friends the close friends that I have differences with a lot of times what you'll uncover what they will reveal to you and to themselves when they do it and I do this too I will reveal something to them and to myself the root of really what the bias is which Mm -hmm. is how I've maintained those really close relationships because we will spend we will take the time we will take the time to go through the what did you mean by that exactly? And what is that rooted in? And a lot of times they'll talk about, it's it's always about personal experience, you know. So it comes what, down to something like to, that's very, that's very individual. That's very individual mm-hmm. to you as to why maybe you don't agree with this or you don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just, I don't know, I just, um, my interest is really in understanding people. I've always just had this real... Um, need to understand um, well, you know but but also i just want to i just like to go further in that though is that you are very public about publicizing your views which i think is is really important when you because you are a, a very liberal voice in a place that is i mean you're you live in a pretty liberal town now but yeah generally like a, in especially in the digital sphere it's like you know you have, you have a conservative sort of group of people right, maybe that right, around right. you and i think it's so important when you're sort of the dissenting voice around you to be vocal about that because what you're doing is you're normalizing those types of views for maybe for people who unlike you you're very willing to to take an unpopular viewpoint that you think is just and you think is fair and you think is right but not everybody's like that so i think it's really important to have people like you who are saying no it's totally normal to be to self-identify as a feminist and have these different viewpoints and be very uh, aware of, um, you know, 
racial issues and LGBT issues and all these things and being very vocal about that because I think it models for other people that this is a norm this is a normal way of thinking this is totally normal when you're and when you're surrounded by people who maybe don't feel that way you, it's hard for people sometimes to 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 realize that oh this is a this is a way that I could be this is you know without having somebody modeling that so I think you, yeah yeah I mean I, I I accept what you're saying about it being about understanding other people but to me it feels like there's more to that that you know it's not, if it was just about understanding other people maybe you might not be so vocal about you know putting your own views out there like I don't know I think I'm so. pretty thick-skinned too <laughs> when it comes to um I think I accept the fact that people don't necessarily have to like you mm. or like what you stand for. Um, yes. I'm willing to take that chance that maybe I might be heard and maybe it will make a difference in the world at large. I think maybe is why. I think you're the most convicted person when it comes to whatever it is that I've ever and seen. I'm you were just convicted. so. Yeah. When, when you decide to say something, you were so convicted that it is it's just like a tidal wave of conviction (laughs) you know and and that point and the people who come who disagree with you and i've noticed and i'm just in this is just my observation from your uh sort of online conversations they might not come away necessarily with their minds changed but they will be like you know it it generally ends in on a respectful note that like okay that's that's what you believe in well yes and i will say this i know that the for you to respond to no, no, but that has been true her entire my entire experience with my mom is <laughs> this crazy mix of like being the one that's saying the thing that no one wants her to say <laughs> being the one that's like raising her hand it's like um but excuse me and it was like Rhonda, <laughs> if you could just shut the fuck up that'd be great and and then me being like oh god everyone's gonna hate her and then like turning around and be like hug like like hugging her and being like thank you so much thank for you but then it. but on the other hand she is doing the same to those people I, mm. I, you know there were times when it's like you know someone at church or someone at school or something she's like you know bitching about somebody you know like, oh well blah blah blah. <laughs> It's like she's just like this and that and the other, and then I think, okay, we're not supposed to like that person. So I'm like, okay, well, we're not supposed. To. And then she'll be like, yeah, but you know, she does have that great ability to bring people together, and she does have this thing. But, um, and then I would just be so fucking confused. She just great bitched, area. She great. just bitched about her, but then she'd turn around and be like, but isn't she great in the way she can like, do that? Well, I, we should wrap up soon. Yes. But but um, one just sort of end cap on on this, and it just kind of returns back to what you were saying earlier about. Uh, uh, your whole sort of career pointing towards uplifting women and, and the female relationships in your in your life. Can you talk a little bit more about that? About like what the importance of your female relationships and your friendships? Because even now it seems like you have a very strong like lady crew, lady gang, gang. <laughs> I do have a lady gang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Folly Girls. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> they have a, a name. name. We have a name. Yes. We have a name. But I have a lot more friends than just those. But those are the, those are my go-to girls. Mm-hmm. Like I said, even as from a young age, mm-hmm. girls, um, girlfriends have been a big part of my life. Um, huge. And and I don't know why. Um, I think s- some women um, have better relationships with other women than, than 
some women do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really know why, but I've always been drawn to a circle of friends. Um, they keep me grounded. They keep me honest. They're supportive. You know, you can have all the emotions mm-hmm. with other females, mm-hmm. or I can. You know, you can cry together. You can laugh together. You can see the humor and uh in the raising of children together and your relationships with men and that's some funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> are the other are the other eight they're in different sort of different uh, like are they married? Some are married, some, some are divorced, some are widowed. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's sort of in a different stage. Yes, everybody, every, all of them have great stories but I think women in general have great stories. I mean, I'm sure men do too, but I think that I, but I think that women just have not been heard mm. in the way that they're being heard now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so happy about that. Um, when I know, I know where I came from and what, the struggles that I had as a young female between the ages of 16 and 35. And the difference, the different choices that my grandchildren, that my granddaughters are going to have Mm -hmm. because of the things that I've done and other women have done to pave a path. So they have different choices, and that's exciting to me. I want to live long enough to see all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Where women are, that it's just, that nobody thinks about uh, that a female's president of the United States. It's just, that's what it is. It's normal. I mean, yeah. It's just a normal thing. And that women uh, run big companies or they don't. Mm-hmm. They stay home and raise children. That we can choose whatever we want. Um, so. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I, well, actually, so we do have some cake to eat, but I do want to ask, give you the opportunity to tell one embarrassing story about Andrew. One oh, embarrassing God. story about Andrew. It doesn't have to be embarrassing. It could be a nice story. It could I be a know. it could be a celebratory story about Andrew too. I'd what prefer a celebratory, story? but any sort of even, story. Any sort you know, of story. I guess it was a little dull. There it wasn't that exciting. No, he was a great kid. It was a lot of fun <laughs> to raise. Challenging because he was such a smart kid. Had to be one step ahead of him <laughs> all the time. And she was. And I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Get that down. <laughs> um, I think one of the most, the one of the things that I loved, um, well, I can tell you something that I really, really, re- okay. When Andrew, um, Andrew started middle school, um, I have no well, idea we were, where this is we going. Were, we were complete. I was as I'm a mom. Right as a mom, I kept thinking, you know, he needs something besides sports. What can it be? What can it be? And so when he started middle school and he started singing in the choir chorus, um, I knew that that was that was what we needed to be doing. And I never will forget the very first concert that I went to hear him sing. And I don't know, were you in sixth or seventh grade? The seventh first grade. Year, seventh grade chorus in the lunchroom. Mm. And so they have them all lined up, you know, there they're gonna sing. And when he started singing and his face lit up like, I mean, I just cried because it was so precious. <laughs> <laughs> because it was, he, I, I knew that that was music 
art. That was that was who he was. Um, what was like a neon sign. Uh, have I ever told you? No, that? no. It was the cutest thing ever. Oh. <laughs> oh. I was just. I was just smiling. Smiling and yeah. Still has the voice of an angel. <laughs> so yes, start does. of a good start of a good thing. Oh, well. Mom, I've had the best week with you here. Um, and thank you for I'm indulging so us in this little conversation. So this is a dream. Oh, we so love sweet. you. And I love you forever. <laughs> Let's right. eat cake. Let's eat cake. Let's eat cake.